This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 222-inch. On this episode, we interview Weird the Al Yankovic story makeup department head, Kat Bardot. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Welcome, Ethan, and all of our lovely listeners to episode 222-inch. Yes, which is, of course, our second episode to feature the same digit repeated three times. The first one being episode 111-inch, of course, you know, our episode with the star of Netflix magic series Magic for Humans, Justin Willman. Oh yeah, what a fun interview with Justin. I wonder how he's doing. He's doing great, actually. I'm glad to hear that, but how do you know he's doing great? Well, I just saw him at the Egg in Albany on Friday. Wow, what a coincidence. Uh, not really. I mean, he was performing. It was a ticketed event, Dave. Oh, I mean, because of, you know what, never mind. How was the show? It was pretty stinking majestic. It was super funny. There was great magic, great volunteers, great crowd work. I highly recommend Justin Willman's show, if he comes anywhere near you on tour. Did he do the infamous mysterious floating orb trick that he taught Weird Al? Well, not quite, but he did play a clip of a brand new show he has coming to Netflix called The Magic Prank Show. It drops on April 1st, and I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say he does something in the clip that was straight out of UHF. Wow, sounds like a great show, and it sounds like you had a great time. Oh, what do you say, Dave? I think it's just about time for What's Happening in Weird Al-Related News! MeTV's original series, Collector's Call, is returning for Season 5 in April, and there's a very special and very weird episode airing on Sunday, April 21st. We've been giddy with excitement for months helping to keep this a secret, but we are thrilled to share that our very own actual close personal friend and past guest of the podcast, Kenneth Gwinnip, and his incredibly bodacious Weird Al collection are the subjects of this episode. The show is hosted by Lisa Welchill from The Facts of Life and explores the private collections of the world's biggest collectors of pop culture memorabilia. And after exploring and appraising the collection, an expert offers the collector a -a once-in-a-lifetime trade for one of their prized possessions. Will they take the trade? That's the collector's call. And get this, the expert for Kenneth's episode couldn't get any better as it's none other than longtime archivist and drummer for Weird Al, John Bermuda Schwartz! But that's not all! As a special surprise for Kenneth, the episode also features a message from Weird Al himself passing along a very special, very personal gift. Ooh. Wow, won't Kenneth be surprised when he finally sees the episode? In an article from RemindMagazine.com announcing the episode, they show off a few items from Kenneth's tour laminate and pin collection, including a few pins created by our very own Ethan Allman. Set your DVRs now. Kenneth's episode is set to air April 21st at 6.30 p.m. on MeTV and will be streaming on MeTV and MeTV Plus on Philo TV and Fernley TV. 
Backers of Julian Villard's Kickstarter were treated this week to a full preview of his upcoming album, In the Middle of Something. The album preview, of course, includes the song We Should Have an Affair, which world premiered on Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast episode 221-inch and features both a cameo and accordion by Weird Al himself. That song is so catchy, I've had it stuck in my head for a week. There's still time to back the album, so head on over to bit.ly slash middle of something and make us proud. Hey Dave, today we're celebrating a very special birthday. Oh Ethan, you shouldn't have. So tell me, did you get me a cake? And where are all the presents? What? Your birthday is like 147 days away. What are you talking about? Well, first off, rude and... Hey, isn't today the 40th anniversary of the release of Weird Al's platinum-selling, iconic, smash-hit sophomore album, Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, which features the international sensation and Grammy Award-winning hit single, Eat It, parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It? Uh, yeah. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, happy anniversary and congratulations to Weird Al and his band on 40 years of Weird Al Yankovic in 3D. And a pinch to grow another 2,000 inches. You know, assuming that Weird Al Yankovic in 3D has grown, on average, 50 inches per year. We've got a few Weird Al appearances in media and beyond to catch up on. So first up, on Tuesday, February 13th, Weird Al was the answer during the category Famous Hair on Episode 7 of the Fox game show, The Floor. The contestant who received the question got it right immediately, but ultimately went home. In her exit interview, she said it must have been quote, a bad hair day. Last Thursday, February 22nd, there was yet another Weird Al mention in the New Yorker crossword puzzle. The clue for 51 across was Yankovic and Pacino for two. Ethan, would you like to take a guess? A-L-S. Al's. Collector alert! Emmy Magazine issue one of 2024 features an excellent photograph of Weird Al posing on a big red couch with director Eric Appel and our co-star Daniel Radcliffe. And for those whose collections span to the great Grammy Award winning Jim Kimo West, not only can you currently listen to his music when flying with Hawaiian Airlines, he's also mentioned in the current issue of their in-flight magazine, Hana Howe. This episode is brought to you in part by vegan burrito restaurant Burrito Burrito, home of the two-pound double-wrapped-in-a-quesadilla Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger for mouth-watering, loaded, dare I say beefy, vegan burgers. From Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food, always vegan style. Visit BurritoSquared.com and WizardBurger.com to order ahead. And now it's time for What's Happening in Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast-related news! Patreon supporters last week were treated to an exclusive video of Weird Al performing at San Francisco Sketchfest. Our intern Frank tells us there's still more to come, so be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash 2000 inch and become a paid supporter. And now it's time for this episode's interview. All right, Ethan, take it away. 
Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to welcome to the podcast. She is the makeup department head from Weird the Al Yankovic Story and has worked on numerous projects, including Reno 91, Drunk History, Better Call Saul. We are so thrilled to welcome to the podcast, Kat Bardot. How's it going, Kat? Good. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to chat with you. We love your work in Weird. And I also realized that you and I are from the same area in New York. I still have my 518 area code. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never get rid of it. When did you move out to California? I moved in 2005 and it was like right when I had like just gotten a cell phone. Like I got a cell phone right before I moved to LA, like maybe a month before I moved. And because I got it in upstate New York, it came with a 518 area code. And now at this point, it's like everyone already has that number. Like, I literally never go back to upstate, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's too exhausting to change it at this point. Oh, of course. Yeah. It, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Everyone has cell phones. You don't have to really think about an area yeah. code. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I guess starting at the beginning, you went to school for makeup design? No, actually, um, I went to uh, SUNY New Paltz, which is a state school, originally as an art education major. And then I realized that I did not like high school students. They are not nice. (laughs) And and you also don't make any money as a public school teacher. So I was like, yeah, I guess I'll just like be an art major. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. And then I moved out to L.A. with like the goal of going back to school for hair and makeup. And I just it just never ended up happening. I had to get a job when I moved out here and work full time to pay my bills. And then I just sort of like fell into doing makeup without having any real background in it. I've always been self-taught. I was like one of those girls who always did everyone's makeup for prom and for Halloween. And I helped a lot with the photography department when I was in college doing makeup on like photo shoots for my friend Ryan, who's now like a very big celebrity uh, portrait photographer. And yeah, then I started doing theater out here and fell into hair and makeup through theater. Wow. So did you move out to L.A. to get closer to the entertainment industry or was that for a different reason? Yeah, that's exactly why. I like pretty much knew from a very young age that I wanted to work in film and television. Like my my joke is that I'm basically the cable guy, but I'm not a psychopath. Like I truly was raised (laughs) by the television. (laughs) I just consumed TV at such a young age. And I was definitely watching things I shouldn't have been watching at such a young age. I became really into horror. I think, I don't know. I was watching like Freddy Krueger probably in fourth grade, fifth grade, maybe. (laughs) Like, (laughs) So I knew it was something I always wanted to be in. And I knew LA was the place to do it. I had never been to L.A. before I moved here. I just got on a plane and moved here because I knew the industry was here. Wow. That's really gutsy. And and it's incredible how your career has grown since then. I feel very lucky. I think I, like, just got a lot of really lucky opportunities. You know, when I moved out here, my parents were like, oh, she'll be back in six months. And, you know, I've been (laughs) out here for, oh, my God. Like, I'm getting close to 20 years out here now. Wow. That's so cool. Now, anyone who follows you on Instagram, I'm sure has seen that you wrote a really great piece for the Artisan magazine where you talked about your time working on Weird the El Yankovic story and some of the specific products you used and a lot of really great details. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about was what I learned in that article is that you actually knew Eric Appel from before Weird the El Yankovic story. 
Yeah, I mean, Eric grew up in upstate too, but we didn't know each other then. My first real makeup job, I mean, my first real paid makeup jobs were with Funny or Die in 2009. I think I like had sent them an email. I maybe had done like two real makeup jobs prior to emailing them and was like, hey, I'm a makeup artist. I love working in comedy. I would love to work with you guys, thinking <laughs> like, I'm never going to get a response to this. In my mind, it was such a big company. And I got an email back half hour later from Mike Farah, who's still over there as like head of production. And he was like, do you want to work tomorrow? And <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, okay. And I did this crazy shoot with the actor Vinnie Jones. Seth, I remember Seth Morris wrote it. I can't remember who directed that one, but literally doing that one day led to me working there for almost three years. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. <laughs> Again, got really lucky. Just shot off a random email. And so, at what point at Funny or Die did you meet Eric Appel? Um, Eric was there. Basically, uh, I think he had been. Yeah, he definitely was there before me. We were in this like really small office, so it's like hard to remember now who actually had offices in that building because it was so tiny. He must have had an office in that building. It was like right in Central Hollywood. Uh, I don't remember the first shoot. We, we had a handful of directors at Funny or Die, so you would just get assigned to different sketches depending on who was shooting that day. Mm-hmm. And so I did not do the original Weird Al trailer with Eric. There was another makeup artist working there at the time, Shauna O'Toole, and I believe she was the one who did that because there was really just two of us at the beginning of the uh, Funny or Die days. Um, but I did a bunch of other videos with Eric, and I just really got along with him and understood his sense of humor and I love his wife as well. And we've just stayed in contact over the years and done multiple projects together since. That's incredible. That's really, yeah, it's really cool. And uh, is that how then you ended up working on Weird the Al Yankovic story through your connection with Eric? Yeah. Like Eric and I both left Funny or Die around the same time. Like my first real department heading job was in 2011 and it was a show that he had directed called Dirty Work. And so we both kind of like graduated from Funny or Die at that point. Hmm. Um, And we just always stayed in contact. And he had told me very early on, like, hey, remember that fake trailer I made? I'm writing into a a movie. And I was like, awesome. Like, I would definitely (laughs) love to work on that. And then he called me, I think it was like right before Thanksgiving in 2021. Yeah. It would have been 2021. Okay. Being like, oh, that movie's happening. Like, <laughs> you're, you're going to do it with me, right? And I was like, hell yeah, of course I'm going to do it with you. I got hired on verbally from Eric before they even brought, like, the line producer on. Wow. I was, like, one of the very early people that knew I'd be working on it. It sounds like a lot of the key members of the crew for Weird the Alien Kivik Story were handpicked. And I think that is part of the the magic that happened on on this film is everyone kind of already knew each other and were there for the same reasons. And I think that's just so cool. I actually didn't know a ton of the people. I mean, the line, our line producer that ended up getting hired was actually my line producer on Drunk History, Zach Haley. And so I know him very well. But the other departments, I think Eric must have worked with them in other facets, like maybe commercial or something. I'm not sure. But yeah. They were all quite new to me and everybody just got along so great. It was just such 
an amazing fit. He really curated such a wonderful group of people. Yeah, that's so awesome to hear. So you got signed on, you know, around Thanksgiving 2021. And then a little over two months later, you actually start filming the movie. What was that pre-production like? Very short. <laughs> Very rushed. <laughs> um, so I had thought like a hair department had been booked already because I had suggested somebody in November. And then like in the beginning of January, I think I got a call being like, hey, who do you want for hair? And I was like, wait, did you not book the person I suggested? <laughs> and she ended up being booked already. Oh. And so I gave yeah. them like, I could only find like two other people that weren't already booked. Um, and a lot of a lot of stuff happened with the hair department. They ended up actually being replaced after the first two days of shooting. So then I had to help to get another hair department up to speed. So that was while we were already shooting. Oh, wow. Which it, it would have been uh, nicer to have the, you know, the full-time hair department locked in so we could have done proper preparation leading up. But, you know, the movie, it's a low-budget comedy movie. Um, and so you don't get the kind of time you would get on like a big blockbuster film right? where you do tons and tons of camera tests and they're, you know, on the set with the kind of lighting you'd be shooting. And we did do camera tests um, and the, the camera team and the DP did a fantastic job of helping my department really visualize what we were going to see on camera. We did have one day of tests and then I had like some little meetings prior to the test day with Dan and with Evan to just like really get their looks dialed in. Uh, the day, I think the day Dan landed in LA, I took him to a special effects lab to get life casted for his mustache cover prosthetic. <laughs> so it was just like, he literally got to LA and just like hit the ground running with prep. Um, I think like maybe I got 10 paid days of prep, but I did probably like 20 or 25. Wow. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be saying that. Um, but I didn't, like, I do that a lot as a department head on almost every show I work on because I do tend to work in low-budget comedy because I that's where I have so much fun. Yeah. Is that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to keep working, like, off the clock tonight or I'm going to work over the weekend <laughs> just because I care so much about what I'm putting on the screen that, to me, it's like, eh, my my time isn't, as valuable as being happy with the finished product. That's really cool. I mean, it, it's not sustainable, maybe long term, but that's really cool, you know, that you're you're willing to do stuff like that. I mean, just looking at your, your roster of things that you've worked on, including like Tim and Eric stuff and Birthday Boys and, you know, you said Drunk History, like some of the really, in Reno 911, some of the really, you know, greatest comedy things to come out of the last decade you've worked on. Oh, thank you. Uh, I feel very, very lucky that people have given me the opportunities they've given me and tended to keep me around because they enjoy my work. And I think that I'm easy to get along with. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get too much into uh, what you actually did on the set, you know, working with Daniel and Evan and all the others, uh, people you got to work with. Can you just give us like a high level overview of what it is that a makeup department head does? So as a makeup department head, you're in charge of not only designing the look of the film once you meet with your director and get a good idea of visually what they're trying to achieve. It's very much a collaborative partnership in that way. But 
on top of designing and then executing makeups, I'm running an entire department. So on that film, I had a key makeup artist. I had a full-time third. She's almost full-time. I think there was only four days she didn't, she wasn't there. And then there were days where I needed to hire lots of day players, like the big pool party scene. Right. I don't even remember how many extra people I brought in that day. It was huge. It was a huge yeah. mornings. So <laughs> I have to delegate responsibilities to each artist that I have working under me. So everybody knows in the morning when they come in, which actor they're doing, what their character makeup look is. I give them all the supplies that they need. So, you know, I'm doing shopping. I'm, I'm designing. I'm doing, I'm shopping for supplies. I'm making flow charts to make sure that the mornings run smoothly. So I'm teaming up with the AD department to make sure that we get everybody done on time. There's lots of paperwork. Like I always say, like <laughs> doing actual makeup is maybe only like 15% of my job. Oh, like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you, you do makeup in the morning and then you just kind of maintain that makeup all day. And then you've got, you know, if I'm doing my shopping, then I have to turn in all my receipts. So I'm like sitting on set trying to do my paperwork right. receipts right. and <laughs> scheduling COVID tests for everybody who's coming into day play. Wow. <laughs> Now, I think the, you know, the main look for the, the film that you had to, or the main character you had to work on, I had have to assume to be Dan or Al. Yeah, so Al only had, I think, like three shoot days. So I established his character the first day, but then scheduling-wise, we just had too much going on. So I think I, like, bumped him over to my key KT another day, and then maybe I did him, like, his third day. It's so hard to remember um, but I mostly focused on Dan and Evan. Okay. Dan was there every single day. Evan, I think, had like 10. It was only an 18-day shoot, and I think Evan was there like 10 days. Wow. Okay. And so what goes into establishing a look? Or, or you know, how do you decide what the character Weird Al is going to look like? So for Dan, like, I knew Dan had grown out a beard and that we could shave down into a mustache so that we didn't have to deal with, like, a fake mustache the whole shoot wearing fake mustaches is very annoying for the actor it's itchy it's distracting mm -hmm. and it's also a pain in the butt for me to constantly like yell at them to be like stop touching your fake mustache <laughs> um and having to like re-glue it and take it off for lunch and put it back on so i was very appreciative of the fact that he could grow such a great mustache and then we were trying to figure out what to do about his eyebrows because if you look at photos of Al, especially from that time period, he had very like thin eyebrows and Dan has very full, gorgeous, bushy brows. And I'm like, okay, well, if you take his eyebrows down, he'll look more like Al, but everybody knows we're not, sh this isn't Al's real life story, you know, like <laughs> everyone knows they're watching Dan Radcliffe. So I'm not bothered by the fact that he still looks like Dan. Also, Dan had press to do after we wrapped shooting for another project, and I wasn't going to let him go on camera to do press with shaved down eyebrows. Like, it's just too mean. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did use a razor to take up the bottom of his brows a little bit and then right in between his eyebrows, but it wasn't much. It wasn't drastic. It was just like very slight shaping. And then I would use like a brow gel to like kind of comb them to the side to try and give them the appearance of being slightly thinner. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. That's incredible. <laughs> 
It's just, you know, as someone who doesn't work in makeup, uh, I would never even think about matching the eyebrows the same way that I would think, you know, getting the right glasses and the hair and the mustache. Well, the, the mustache is funny, too, because, you know, everybody's mustache grows in differently. And Dan's mustache actually grows in quite blonde. So I dyed oh. it, I think, two days before we started shooting. But then we net because it was such a quick shoot, we never really had the opportunity to like properly dye it again after that. So I was just using alcohol colors every day to like touch up the color and make it more brown. Hmm. And then if you look at Al's mustache, it almost has like a little triangle piece cut out right above the Cupid's bow of his lip. And Dan's mustache was just straight across. So every day I would go in with like a teeny tiny razor and <laughs> shave that little triangle. <laughs> Just little, little details, you know? It's incredible. All that work. I mean, it, I, Daniel looked incredible. You know, he you could definitely tell he was playing the character of Weird Al. And I understand you also worked with Evan Rachel Wood to get her to look like Madonna. What went into her look? Oh, my God. Her looks were so much fun. So I made this huge... I call, we call them a deck. It's like an image board that has all different makeup references for Madonna from that time period. And so I sent that over to Evan. That, that was the, literally the first thing I did was make the deck, send it to Evan and be like, which of these looks are you feeling? We can also like combine different elements of different looks and kind of like adjust them. So she picked a few that she liked. And then when I was reading the script and breaking it down, I saw that there was an opportunity for her to have like a total of four different looks. So she's got, the first look was when you see her at the nail salon. Um, I think it was like a red lip and a very like taupey colored Marilyn Monroe eye makeup. That's when she's getting her nails done and she sees on the TV about Al. Mm -hmm. um, and then her main look was the look she showed up at his mansion with. So that one was, I think like, I think that was the sunset colored one it was like yellow oh shoot i'm gonna have to look at my pictures now I, i'm like <laughs> i can't remember and then there was a third look i think that when she gets kidnapped in the diner which was like purple and orange colored yes the first one was yellow and orange and then the second one was like a peach and a purple and then her final look was her villain look which was like blue mascara a hot pink <laughs> lipstick instead of red because she wears red through the whole she wears red through the whole movie, except when she turns villain, she's got a hot pink lip and she's got that big scar on her cheek. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, it's so perfect. And now one thing I was wondering about is with the character of Dr. Demento, it was originally going to be Patton Oswald, but then last minute they had to swap in Rain Wilson. How did that affect your department? Like shockingly, even though it was such a last minute call, it made it so much easier on my department. Um, wow. The first day of shooting, the first day of shooting, it was still supposed to be Patton. And me and my key KT went to Patton's house and had to start fitting him to get a beard because Patton did not have a beard grown out. He was pretty, it just had like very light stubble, which you can't really work on top of. Like the actor has to then shave and then you have like clean skin and then you glue the beard on. But because we didn't have a ton of prep and a ton of money, I couldn't have a custom-made beard made for him. So I had bought two pretty high-quality beards that I was going to cut apart and Frankenstein back together <laughs> once I did a pattern of his facial shape. That would have required a lot of work to create the piece. 
It would have required a lot of maintenance throughout the day, constantly like touching it up, gluing it, hiding any of your edges by hand laying hair over those lace edges. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once they, they realized that, you know, Patton's broken leg was not going to work out for production and they recast Rain at the last minute, Rain had already had a pretty great beard. All we had to do was shape it into the correct shape. And then KT, my key makeup artist, did his makeup throughout the film. She would color it every day with alcohol colors to give it that gray appearance. Yeah. So it was a lot less work for us. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you guys didn't break uh, Patton Oswalt's foot, did you? (laughs) Oh, my God. No, he was like on tour or something and he like stepped off a curb wrong. Like it was just a freak accident. Oh, wow. All right, that's what we'll go with. It wasn't your department, you know, just trying to make it a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> now, another character that really has a big transformation is Mary Yankovic. From the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, she has put on a ton of weight. Did that fall to your department? Yes, that was my department. Um, she is such a lovely woman, and she's such a thin woman that transforming her... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is going to be pretty drastic. And we wanted to really make sure that we weren't like making fun of people who are full figured. It was more about getting the joke of the song at the end where that song lyric came from. Right. So there was a lot of back and forth about like, well, just how how heavy do we make her look? Um, And because we didn't have money or time for custom made pieces i had to experiment with using generic pieces so the first piece that i had liked that eric also agreed was a good piece was a foam latex fat suit which is my preferred uh type of prosthetic makeup to use for a fat suit makeup because it's so lightweight and it just pulled down on the face um but it was just too big and gappy in the chin because a lot of these pieces are sculpted on male faces. And this one was specifically for a woman's face, but her face is just so tiny that all around the mouth and chin, it was just too, it wouldn't sit flush on her face. So then I had to rush order a second option. um, And the only other option in her size was a silicone version and silicone looks more lifelike and more like skin. And it's a lot less work to paint it to make it look realistic, but it's so much heavier than foam latex. So Mm. we spent a good amount of time getting the piece on in the morning. Me and my friend, Alyssa Morgan came in to assist me on it. But then like a couple hours later, I just started panicking because it was starting to like buckle around her mouth. It's so hard because that's, you know, that's where an actor is the most expressive is around the mouth. It doesn't matter like how good the glue is. There's condensation there from mouth. There's so much movement. Mm -hmm. So I started getting some lifting in one of the corners. And so I was just like sitting on set with my like palette knife and my spackling tools, essentially trying to like fix it in between takes. At one point it had gotten like an air bubble underneath it that I couldn't get out. Uh, I was just like panicking. So I was like, can we just shoot her mostly from like the right side instead of the left side? Because the right side looks a little better. Wow. Well, it looks seamless in the movie. I mean, it looks incredible. They helped me out a little bit in post. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pass it off as being perfect work of mine. Well, as long as the end product works, I think it's uh, exactly it's great. Yeah. <laughs> now, since we're on the subject of Al's parents, you also did some work on Nick Yankovic as well. 
for his LSD scene. Yeah, so uh, I had worked with Toby Hess on Reno 911 before, so I'd already known him. He's such a fun character. Um, and in the LSD scene, he had to look like a demon, but we all decided like it shouldn't be like a red demon. We, they were going to use lighting effects and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he should just paint it as his normal skin tone coloring. And the reference they really liked was the vampires from um, Lost Boys. So I had mm. sent the image over to uh, this company called Out of Kit that does really awesome like peel and stick prosthetics. And they had a vampire kit, but I didn't like the forehead of it so much. So they were able to like quickly crank me out an altered version of it that looked more like the Lost Boys forehead. Hmm. Wow. Very cool. <laughs> and I think we need to talk about the scene, the grotto, you know, Dr. Demento's pool party, because that is filled with so many iconic celebrities. I've got to imagine that day was pretty busy for you. That day was crazy busy, <laughs> but so much fun. Originally, we were only supposed to shoot the pool party that day. And then the day before I get a call sheet, be <laughs> showing that we've got another scene afterwards with Evan and Dr. Demento. Oh, so wow. I actually had to leave. I had to leave the pool party set to go back to the trailer to get Evan ready for that second scene of the day. But the pool party took up the majority of shooting that day. It was chaos, but like my favorite kind of chaos. And there were so many character actors that came to play really fun parts like Conan O'Brien was Andy Warhol, Jack Black was <laughs> Wolfman Jack, Yorma from the Lonely Island was Pee Wee Herman. And it was just, it felt like a really fun reunion for me because it was a lot of people I had worked with before. I've worked with Jack multiple times on Drunk History and he's always the best time. I have worked with Conan before because he produced the Pete Holmes show and I've always gone over to Conan's set when Pete's on as a guest. And Conan is just such a lovely human. So it was the best day, honestly. It was so much work, but it was so just fulfilling in so many ways. What would you say was the most difficult celebrity that you had to emulate? Hmm. You know, not for me personally, but we had background actors that were also playing celebrities. So there was very nice man playing the David Bowie character, but that hair was is just so hard to replicate. Mm. And, you know, Bowie has those two-toned yeah. eyes and I did get contact lenses for them, but they don't, it doesn't read so well because he's in the, you know, he's in the background. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. Jack's beard was a beast though. Jack's beard was a, like a huge undertaking, but so much fun to do. Like he came in with this big gray quarantine beard. And so I got to just take that thing from scratch and just make it into exactly what I wanted to make it. So I cut it, I shaped it, I shaved into it. I colored it dark brown. He looked wild. I loved it. <laughs> When you're doing stuff like that, I mean, do you have like before and after pictures that you take for your own archives? I need to be better about that. I'm, I always take an after photo because like, you need to take them for your continuity book. Yeah. But I'm so bad at like taking a before photo just for like my own like sense of fun. 
But Jack did send me like a photo of his beard because I had reached out to him being like, hey, what does your beard currently look like? And he sent me a picture. So at least I do have a <laughs> oh, good. Good before picture from him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be an awesome book. Just your before and afters of all the people you've worked on. I would love to see that. Oh, man, that's a great idea. I mean, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool. And does it, it sounds like that uh, the preferences for at least uh, the male actors when they come in with uh, beards is to come in with a real facial hair and then let you sculpt it rather than have you try to find some sort of wig or um, some sort of uh, fake beard or fake mustache for them. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, ideally, that is the best scenario for making things look real and making people feel comfortable. Sometimes that's not a reality because you've got actors who their facial hair doesn't grow in so well, or they're shooting something else that they have to be clean shaven for. There's so many different factors. But yeah, ideally, it's way easier for me to just take somebody's existing facial hair and alter it rather than just make a whole fake piece for them. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Now, I guess sort of the opposite would have been for the Amish Paradise performance. We interviewed Eric Appel, and he was telling us how that performance where Al does not have a mustache, fell right in the middle of the schedule. So you, you weren't able to shave his mustache for that and you had to make a prosthetic for it. I would love to hear that story from your perspective. Oh my God. So that was probably like my most uh, anxious trick that I had to pull off the whole film. Um, I felt like so much was like riding on that. But then when you watch the, the movie, it literally happens within one second. And if you blink your eyes, you miss it. <laughs> <laughs> but the way they shot it was and edited it was just so seamless. It looked so good. So I really ended up, it, it really ended up being my proudest moment of the work I was able to pull off. So Dan went and got life casted on day one with his mustache so that we knew what kind of form that the cover was going to have to fit over. So you glue the mustache down as like close to the skin as you can get it life cast the actor and then you sculpt with clay what the cover is going to look like and then they make a, a negative and then a positive of that piece so there was like a little bit of drama with that piece though because we're on such a short timeline from when he got in to when we were shooting that bit that they got me the pieces only like a few days prior to shooting and then when i opened the box they just were encapsulated in too much baldies which is Essentially, when you, you have to encapsulate a silicone piece in this product called Baldi's so that you can melt it into the skin, hmm. essentially. Um, it's really nerdy and boring to talk about. Um, but <laughs> when I got the pieces, they were so encapsulated that they didn't even feel like they were made of silicone anymore. They didn't feel lifelike at all. I was like, um, is this like a Bondo transfer? Because I asked for silicone. They're like, no, that's silicone. I'm like, it feels like a Bondo transfer. It's really firm. So they're like, okay, we'll like rush you some new pieces. So then they rushed me some new pieces. And then when I opened the box, the Baldies was so thin that there were like holes in all the oh edges. <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to blend this into his skin? Like, I... I was so panicked about it. And then I was told on the morning of shooting that they wanted him to remove it in the scene, which I was not made aware of ahead of time. So oh, then I man. was like, 
oh my God, what? Like, you want to, it's glued to his face. His mustache is glued down underneath the prosthetic. Like, what do you mean? So we came up with this really great way of cheating it where he's on stage, he sings his song, he's got the prosthetic on in his fake beard, and then he's walking off stage and you see him rip it off in real time. So what we did was we shot all the scenes of him singing, but we only shot them in like wide coverage because we were going to go back on Dan's last day and have him shave the mustache off so we could shoot all the tight coverage so we could cut back and forth. Yeah. Because I was just like, it's just not seamless enough for us to shoot close coverage. So we shot all the wide coverage. Then we shot him walking off the stage, ripping it off. So what I did while they were setting up, while the camera department was setting up for that scene is I took him back to the trailer. I took off the mustache cover. I got all the glue out of his mustache. I recolored his mustache back to brown. And then I took all those extra pieces that I had from that first batch that were too firm, had Mm -hmm. too much baldies on them. And I painted them all and just used double-sided tape on the back of it and just tacked it onto it. Dan's skin so Dan could literally just pull it right off and have his perfect mustache underneath it. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, it works so well in the movie, and it's such a funny part when he rips the skin off. <laughs> I love it. It's just they did such a good job with editing that. And I'm like, anytime I'm watching it with somebody, I'm like, you gotta pay attention to this part. Don't don't look away. Even for a second, don't lose your phone. <laughs> Oh, I love it. (laughs) What's funny is I was texting with my dad like a week or so ago. And I was like, did you even watch the Weird Al movie? And he goes, I watched parts of it. What? And I was like, I was like, your daughter puts like her blood, sweat and tears into something she's so proud of. And you watched parts of it. He goes, well, you know, it's not that's not really my style of movie. Like my dad likes mafia movies. So I was just like. Can you just watch the whole thing? Like, I did a lot of great work in that movie. I don't care that it's not your kind of movie. Just spend an hour and a half of your life watching something your daughter worked really hard on. Do you want me to go knock on his door, Kat? I'm sure I live pretty close. You probably do. Oh, that's that's funny and also disappointing. He, you know, he's missing out on such a great movie. Yeah, I think he thinks a lot of the stuff I do is silly. He's a very serious person. <laughs> I'm a very silly person, so I enjoy all the silly things I work on. <laughs> now, after Weird the El Yankovic story, it looks like you've also continued to work with Daniel Radcliffe to some extent. Yeah, um, Dan and I just hit it off so well on the movie that he said, I'd really like for you to come work on Miracle Workers with me this summer. And so he put me in touch with the producers and got me an interview and the producers agreed that I was a good fit for the project. And so I ended up shooting that with him all last summer. Oh, So we only maybe had like, I would say we only had maybe like a six week break between weird and that. Yeah, it was like a month and a half between the two projects. How cool. Wow. He's the loveliest. It's so funny. Everybody (laughs) kept saying before, I'd never seen a Harry Potter in my life. I'd actually never seen anything Dan had been in. Wow. And so many people were like, oh my God, he's the best. You're going to love him. And usually when people hype people up like that i'm like yeah they were okay he does not disappoint he truly does not disappoint he is the loveliest person he's so much fun i've never ever in my life worked with an actor who would come into the trailer and go hey my assistant's going to get coffees 
do you guys want to put in an order? And would, and this was like regularly, like weekly, would mm-hmm. buy us all coffees. That oh, never wow. happens. Oh, that's so sweet. Wow. Yeah. What a good dude. He truly <laughs> is. Well, I don't know how you made it through life without seeing in a Harry Potter movie, but now I've got to ask you, uh, were you a fan of Weird Al before you started working with him on the movie? Yeah, I, when I was a kid, like, I, I'm, it's funny, I'm not that familiar with Al's newer stuff, but in the early 90s, I loved it. I lo- all his Michael Jackson covers, I thought were so much fun. <laughs> and then I had worked with Al on some Drunk History stuff and Reno 911 and just knew what a nice person he was. So I was very much looking forward to like collaborating with him more. Now, Al famously played Adolf Hitler on Drunk History. Were you part of that makeup? I think that one was before my time. So I had I was the key makeup artist on the pilot and there was a different department head and then that department head did the first, I think, three seasons. And then the third season, I was her key again um, because I was just off working on other projects during those first two seasons. And then I took over as a department head, I think, in season four. Hmm. So I think she did. I think she must have done the Adolf Hitler one. <laughs> Do you recall what you did with Al for for that or for Reno? For Drunk History, it's hard. It's so hard to remember because we literally shoot a different story every single day, and I've done so many seasons oh, of it I'm now sure. that I yeah. I've like blacked out, and I'm like I don't even remember yeah. what we've shot. Um, <laughs> but I do remember doing the Frankenstein one with Evan Rachel Wood because it's probably my favorite Drunk History episode <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> But on Reno 911, oh my God, his character is so fun. He's supposed to be Ted Nugent. Yes. <laughs> and it's so wild to see his curly hair flat ironed and straight. And then I put these big <laughs> mutton chops on him and like this chin stripe goatee thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that was so funny to see him be... <laughs> be that character (laughs) it's so far from who he is as a person it's hilarious (laughs) it's almost further from him than adolf hitler was i mean (laughs) (laughs) i think ted nugent and adolf hitler are probably more similar than any of them are without (laughs) oh it's so cool and i i mean we have to ask you about working on better call Saul. i mean People who listen to the podcast know that's one of our favorite shows, Dave and I. Oh, I'm so glad you guys love the show. It's a great show. And by one of, it might be my number one favorite show of all time. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I love Bob Odenkirk, and I love Mr. Show, and I love Breaking Bad, but Better Call Saul is just incredible. I mean, everything about it. I need to go back and try watching it again, because so I only worked on the first two seasons of it. And I did. I stopped watching past where I worked on it. Oh, yeah, you need to. I just, it's really hard for me to watch things that I work on because I'm never, like, when I watch things, I typically get very sucked into the story. Um, like, when I was a kid being glued to the TV, my parents would come in the room and say my name, and I wouldn't even hear them because I was so, like, just entranced <laughs> and in the story. And I typically am still like that, but except for when I watch things I've worked on, 
all I can think about is like, oh God, it was so hot that day. Or, oh, this person was such an asshole on this day. And it really takes you out of the story. Right, right. And then I can't even gauge whether it's the show is good or not. Or even if I, I work on something that I have like the best time on, then I'm like, oh, this that was such a fun shoot. So the show has to be good, right? But then I'm like, but is it good or did I just have a good time? Like, I can't tell if things are good or bad after I've worked on them because I'm just too close to it. But I felt very lucky when I got that job. Like, I really had felt like I got my dream job. I was a huge, huge Breaking Bad fan. Like, it, to this day, is, like, still... Even though I'd say, like, Game of Thrones is probably my favorite show, I hated the way the last two seasons went. And Breaking Bad was just consistently perfect throughout, and it ended exactly the way it should have. Yeah. I mean, Vince Gillen, Gilligan is just such oh, yeah, a yeah. massive genius, and I just loved working with him. He was just... So not Hollywood. Doesn't matter how many awards the man has. He's just like a sweet Virginia boy. He's, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about him. My producers over there were amazing. I had a lot of female producers. Uh, Melissa Bernstein was just such a huge inspiration to me to start producing. Because I'm now, I'm, I'm now kind of moving away from makeup and into producing. And oh, cool. Melissa was such a big inspiration for me to make that leap. Um, I loved working with Bob. Like I had worked with Bob prior to Better Call Saul. Bob was the one who got me my interview for that job. And he's just the best. Like I would be like, thank you so much for like getting me that job. He's like, I didn't get you that job. You got you that job. I just got you the interview. Like he would not take credit for it. Uh Um, he was always very complimentary of my work. He was like, a da- like he, I always call him my like he's my comedy dad like <laughs> my my very my real dad is a very serious person Bob was my comedy dad um, but I love Bob's wife Naomi I love their kids like they're just the loveliest family and Bob can be very like he just says it how it is like he just has no filter and I really being a New Yorker appreciate that I think for some people that's like jarring. But I just, I just got him. I just get him. I think he's a genius, like through and through a genius, phenomenal actor, phenomenal writer, so funny. And all the, all the actors on that show were awesome. I had the best time working with Michael McKean, who was also in the Weird Al movie. It was such a nice yeah. reunion to see him at the snake pit scene. Yeah, Dave and I got to be in a scene with him. Oh, that's right. You guys came out for the snake pit. Yeah, oh, it was oh so God. cool. That was such yeah. a crazy day, too. I had so <laughs> much fun getting the band guys ready. Jonah Ray, I love Jonah. Yeah. Um, And it was just so nice to see Michael again. I also really love working with Jonathan Banks. He's so nice. Ray Seahorn. Like, everyone on that show it was so great it was the hardest decision for me to make to leave the show but i just was really unhappy working in albuquerque it just wasn't for me and i and i didn't want to spend you know five six months of my year there for the next four more years oh i can imagine yeah that's so cool though that you that you worked on that and you got to you know you i assume you had something to do with creating the looks for those characters at least their earlier versions yeah i mean i that show was definitely like the highest budget thing i've ever worked on so there were multiple camera tests for that which i was so grateful for it was the first show i'd ever shot in 4k on so even the hd makeups were showing up on camera so i had to like come up with a bunch of different techniques to 
make the makeup look seamless. Oh, wow. Um, Bob's look, I remember we did a makeup test here in L.A. before we even went out to Albuquerque. This is like very, very early on. Uh, his jean look, you know, when he's jean and he's working at the Cinnabon. Yep. <laughs> so we had experimented with doing like all these bald cap pieces with like hair pieces combed over, trying to figure out what he was going to look like mustaches and then eventually we landed on just using his real his own hair i didn't do the hair but me and the me and the hair department head were both doing these tests together at the Mm -hmm. same time and when you're doing like the bald cap stuff plus the hair it's very much a marriage in those two departments but they decided like let's just use his real hair and just put so much like grease and oil in it (laughs) that it just makes it look pc and thinner than it really is yeah (laughs) and then i had a mustache made for him and then he had, you know, he's supposed to look younger on Better Call Saul than he did in Breaking Bad. But obviously he's older than he was when he shot that. Right, right. So yeah. it was just making his skin as, like, even and smooth as I could. Um, and he was great. He was a trooper. He sat so well for makeups. And I know Bob, and I know Bob does not love sitting for makeups, especially <laughs> facial hair. But he was so great on the show because he knew what what it really required to to make it look the way that show deserved to look and it just it came out so great and i i really am excited for you to watch more of it because as a breaking bad fan i think it it was the only real next step that they could have taken and they they just did it flawlessly yeah i should yeah i need to go back and revisit i also still haven't watched the breaking bad aaron paul movie el camino i need to watch that yeah that one's good too yeah it's yeah they i mean Vince Gilligan really just knows his stuff. He's amazing. I would love to work with him again. Just not in Albuquerque. (laughs) (laughs) So this caught me by surprise, and I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, you worked with the military. You've done some uh, live simulated combat training makeup for them. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. um, So my friend who actually helped me with that the fat suit makeup on the Weird Al movie, my friend Alyssa Morgan, she was the department head for this company that would do these National Guard live war trainings. Um, she was work, She was contracted by a company called ACS. It was like Allied Shipping Containers. And essentially, we would go out to these military bases and build fake villages out of shipping containers. And each village had its own director, which it was all like they hired all these film people to work with the military and each director of that village would communicate with the commanding officers for the troop of people that they were coming in to train and talk about like what was going to happen in the iteration. So like, for example, on one of them, it was just supposed to be like a wedding procession was Ooh. happening through the town. People were marching through the town and they just wanted to see the way the soldiers would react. And because they were very green, they came in and they killed all the people in the wedding because they didn't know what they were doing. So then we'd have to be like, okay, no, that's not how you do things. This is how we're going to, we're going to redo this iteration. This is just a wedding. Nothing else is happening here. Um, It was a hard job for me to decide whether I wanted to take or not because I am very much anti-war. But then I realized if I could help not only save the lives of the people in Afghanistan and Iraq, the civilians Mm -hmm. by helping train these soldiers, then that was something that I was willing to do. Wow. 
Yeah, that's fascinating, putting the soldiers in real-life situations and then trying to make it look as realistic as possible. That That is that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, one of the best compliments to my work on one of those jobs was I had a soldier literally throw up after seeing one of the, the wound makeups we had done. Wow. Because it looked so real to him. So you're like, you're also preparing them psychologically. And it's funny, my... um. My boss now at the production company I work for, he used to be in the army and he did those kinds of trainings as well. And he was like, I love that you did those. Like they were so helpful for us. Wow. So it made me feel good. Like I made a positive impact. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Well, Kat, we we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about your work with Al and, and on Weird the Al Yankovic story. We highly recommend people check out your instagram at cat bardot you post some really cool stuff there's a lot of great stuff from your time on weird the yankovic story and the other awesome things you work on and i hope maybe sometime you can come back and you me and your dad can watch weird the yankovic story together and we'll get dave up here and we'll just have a great time yeah we'll just tie my dad up and force him to watch it <laughs> hold his eyes open with those things from clockwork orange <laughs> Awesome. Well, Kat, thank you so much. This was really so much fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. A special thanks to Kat Bardot for the fantastic interview. We cannot wait to see what she works on next. But in the meantime, be sure to follow her on Instagram at Kat Bardot. That's K-A-T-B-A-R-D-O-T. Whoa, you know what that sound means? We've got a call on the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. Okay, intern Frank, let's hear that very timely call. Hey, this is Claire. I'm putting together my wedding dancing playlist for this weekend. I've already gotten Ethan's picks, but I want to hear from Dave. Dave, when you want to boogie on the dance floor, what Weird Al songs are you putting on? Songs that maybe even people who aren't Weird Al fans would still get down to. I'd love to hear. Thank you. Claire, thank you for the call. And from all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, congrats on your wedding! Wow, so Claire wants my ideas for Weird Al songs on her wedding playlist. Oh, that is a lot of pressure. I mean, this call came in like a week and a half ago, Dave, so technically she already had her wedding. Oh, the pressure is off. All right, well, here are my recommendations of what she should have done on her playlist. Since you've been gone, you don't love me anymore, I'm so sick of you. Okay, okay, Dave, we get it. Well, one thing that is good enough for now is our friends over at Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota, a beautiful it's also current. All right, it's official, and you heard it here first. Discover Darwin's promotional wooden nickels are now accepted as currency in Darwin, Minnesota. Oh, no way! You know, we literally have dozens upon dozens upon dozens of those. We are so rich! We sure are, Dave! Oh, how much are they worth? Well... Each baker's dozen of Discover Darwin wooden nickels is the equivalent of three Darwin dollaroos. Ooh, this is sounding good. Okay, so what is the exchange rate on a Darwin dollaroo? Well, it does depend on the day of the week and the position of the sun compared to that of Jupiter, but uh, give or take about 15 twine ball bullions. A twine ball bullion? Yeah, it's some cryptocurrency, I think. 
It's pretty volatile, but I swear it's a sound investment. Oh, you convinced me. Sign me up. Oh, also, just to be clear, these are only accepted at Troubles Number 2 and the Darwin United States Post Office. Okay, well, that's a good start. And only on leap years. And it's 2024. That's a leap year. Oh, but not this leap year. They closed that loophole. Oh. And never when it's between 62 and 43 degrees in Chilliwack. Fahrenheit or Celsius? Yes. Curse you, Dave and Ethan! So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next loony expedition. Discover Darwin more than just the twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to attempt to visit www.discoverdarwin.biz. Dave and Ethan's 2000 It's Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely free thanks to our incredible sponsors, Brito Brito, Wizard Burger, our very own Jackson Scoggins, and Discover Darwin, home of the Darwin Dollaroo. Our podcast is also supported by everyone else in our Patreon family, with special thanks to our very own close personal friend level Patreon supporters, Dana B, UH Jeff, Blair, Kenneth, Ajax, Javier, Scotto, Matt, Kev, Casey, Allison, Adriana, Gus and Alicia, Zach, Ron, Zeb, and also thanks to Chris and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our supremely sufficient Weird Al podcast as lauded in the commentary track on the brand new Weird the Al Yankovic Stories Steelbook, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are awesome benefits like getting your name on the podcast, your own private RSS feed, which gives you early access to each and every bonus episode, and the self-satisfaction of doing something important with their otherwise pitiful, meaningless existence. Once you join, you'll be the very first to hear our bonus episodes the instant that they drop. And don't forget to check out our official merchandise shop over at shop.2000inch.com. All proceeds from purchases go directly towards supporting our fine podcast. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, so be sure to join our Facebook community at group.2000inch.com and visit our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al and Red Rump to Goody related conversations. You can find both of them linked on our website, as well as information about past episodes and guests over at 2000inch.com or weirdalpodcast.com. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, X, Threads, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts so you do not miss a single episode. Not only does subscribing help the podcast, it will convert all your Darwin Dollaroos to twine ball bullion. Plus, we love it when we receive voicemail via our official patent-pending 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347 Spatula, as seen in the Illustrated Al. That number is 347-772-8852. Give it a call or give it a text, and you might even hear your message in a future episode. Thank you once again to our guest, Kat Bardot, for joining us this episode. We'd also like to thank the newly wedded Claire Walsh and Laszlo the Chug. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song. And thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thanks to all of you, our loyal listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you, as always, for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. And until next time, remember to gill and chill, take some wooden nickels, keep listening to Weird Al, and stay cheesy.
So get this, after really extensive research, not only is 222 inch three of the same digits repeated, it's also a palindrome. Wow! Oh, and wow is also a palindrome. Yo, banana boy! I thought we agreed we'd stop calling intern Frank banana boy. Evade me, Dave. Okay, okay, I see what you're doing. Don't nod. Can we keep this podcast related? Never a foot too far, even. Uh, right. That was Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 222 in. Too hot to hoot. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that.